You know, uh, actually, later in the message is part of it. But there's two faces of evil we face. This life is just plain hard. Sickness, disease, disasters. It's hard. And then on top of that is human malevolence. What a way to start a message, huh? On top of that is human malevolence. You know, the, the, Alexander Solzhenitsyn said this. It's, uh, actually, this part he didn't say. It's easy to address the evil that's out there. It's easy to point to the evil that's out there. Alexander said this. The thin, razor-sharp line between good and evil runs down the heart of every man and every woman. It's hard enough facing the malevolence of others and then facing our own malevolence. How much do we need that living water? It washes us, it cleanses us, it renews us, it restores us, it enables us, and even more than that, it flows through us. Amen? So we've, we've been talking, and this is the sense, this is the exact sense of what Peter's been giving us. We've been talking about these eight qualities of knowing Christ. Peter says it begins with faith. It begins with placing our trust in him. It begins with believing. Okay, that's not working. It begins with believing uh, that all that God says, all that he does is true. It begins with understanding that all meaning and power in life is taken from his word. And it grows from there in our lives as from that place of knowing Jesus from that place of faith it grows to what to virtue which is moral excellence that 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 pursuit of what is morally right that pursuit of what is helpful in our relationship with God in our in our relationship with others it grows from there to knowledge that sense of lord help me to discern help me to understand help me to 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 know your will day by day to walk with you and it grows from there to to uh, self-control and we spent quite a bit of time talking about self-control self-control that place that's halfway between faith and love that place where we begin to form the the uh, uh i want to say form we're beginning to practice and exercise the disciplines of what it means to be a believer and through that god pours his grace that living water in our life and, you know, we talked about four different uh, uh, areas of spiritual disciplines, intellectual disciplines, exercising our mind, working, working uh, 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 that places in our mind to be renewed, our, working our emotions, that sense of worship and, and, and allowing God to touch us in the places of the heart. The, the, the disciplines of mission, knowing that we're a part of something bigger than us and putting action to our faith. The disciplines of relationship, knowing we're not in this alone. We're doing this together. And as we practice these things and do these things, he washes us, he cleanses us. We, we're growing on this journey from faith to love, to becoming love. I'm fascinated, absolutely fascinated that uh, 
several years ago, a Nobel laureate brain scientist was testing the brain and believed that the brain had both love circuits and fear circuits. They said, we're going to find circuits in the brain that are love circuits slash faith, and we're going to find circuits in the brain that are fear circuits. And this is what they're expecting. This was their hypothesis. And after they began to test, what they discovered is the brain only has love slash faith circuits. We're not built for fear. Now, what do I mean by that? We're, we're, we're built for level one fear, right? That's that, that's that sense of adrenaline we have that gets us out of danger. You know, we're in the street, the bus is coming, we jump out of the way. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But we're not built for the, the, the carrying the anxiety and the stresses and the worry. We're not built for trauma and, and, the, and the horrible and the evil things that happen for us. That's not how we were created. We were created to be love. Why? Because God is love and we were created to be in his image. But we were born in this world, cut off from love, knowing that we are separated from love, living our whole lives, trying to find it. It's this void in our lives and we cram everything in there that we can possibly cram in there and we get a hit out of it. Some of it works, some of it helps, some of it makes us feel better, but it doesn't Last, And we need more and we need more and we need more for less and for less and for less. And Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross and rising and bringing new life, fills this infinite void because only an infinite God can fill the infinite place in the heart of man. The Ecclesiastes tells us infinity is in the heart of of man eternity is in the heart of man no then why are we constantly trying to build eternal monuments for ourselves and so peter is giving us this path that begins in faith and it and it walks this, these steps these journeys these eight steps and and as we've been going through each one the next one that we come to, we, we talked about having to build these spiritual disciplines in our lives that, that, that enable God to work through us in his grace, that enable us to, 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 to take those things that are strong in our area and build from there those, those things that are weak in our area and, and strengthen those and appreciate what my brother has or what my sister has and grow together from that place. And how then do we go from there? And what did Peter tell us next that we need? We need steadfastness. We need steadfastness. We need endurance. We need perseverance. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. I'm going to start with this extended quote. And uh, I'm going to start with this extended quote and break it down. And then uh, we'll, 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 um, we'll look at how we actually embrace steadfastness. I love this quote. This is from uh, InterVarsity Press. Uh, like I said, it's an extended quote, and I'll, and I'll interject as we go through it. It says, Christians are not to be pale, passionless persons, but rather people who are learning to have even the greatest passions under wise control. Isn't that a great line? How many of you know we're not to be pale and passionless? How many of you know I really don't have too much of a problem with that? <laughs> I think that's just the natural Italian blood coming out, the Sicilian part. But, <laughs> but 
we're not to be pale pie. So, so what, what are we to be then? Thus, self-control is the ability to get a grip on yourself, to master and rightly direct your most live feelings and desires. It is the exact opposite of excesses. Greed and sexual abuses of the false teachers and their followers that Peter talks about later in the letter. It means mastery of the self, most precisely in the area of the desires of the senses. So, I, the, the, there's another uh, scholar I was reading, and he talked about this. I want, us to, I want us to picture a wild stallion and all of the power and the energy of a wild stallion. How useful is that? It's not until the stallion is broken. But, the, but the, what brokenness means is not that the power is gone, but that the power is now useful. That's what brokenness means. That's what allowing God to discipline us means, to, to work in our flesh means, to bring all of the, the passion and the power that he's put into our lives, but with a harness on us to be directed by the rider. To be a war horse, not of our own will, but of his will. And that takes endurance. Self-control looks ahead to perseverance, endurance, steadfastness, in that it is so often accomplished only by continuing watchfulness and prayerfulness. There's a quote here. Professor, uh, former pastor David Siemens expresses this aspect of the hardworking virtue. I love this quote. He says, I'm intrigued by the words of Jesus. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. What's interesting about it is he doesn't say, lest you enter into sin. That's always fascinated me, uh, uh, Professor Seaman says. I suspect he chose his words carefully because he knew that some temptations, including sexual attraction, are so powerful that after a point, the will just gives in to the urge. We're to watch and pray lest we allow the, the toboggan to get too close to the edge of the hill because once it starts down, it's almost impossible to stop. Anybody ever been on a toboggan? Anybody know what a toboggan Anybody not know what it was from Houston here? Who doesn't know what a toboggan is? Okay, thank you. So a toboggan is like a sled. It's like a big flat, um, uh, well, I remember, we're out of wood, big fat piece of wood and it curls up in the front. And the cool thing about a toboggan is you could get 15 kids on a toboggan. It's not meant for that many, but so what? We didn't care. You could get all of us on there. And, and that thing started going down the hill. There was no stopping it. We, <laughs> so I, I lived on, I grew up on this, this street that was a hill. And when it would snow, um, our hope was that the street would ice over. And we wanted it to ice over for two reasons. One is if it iced over, you didn't have to go to school. And that was fantastic because, you know, snow days were awesome. You don't have to go to school. And I made a lot of money on snow days. <clears throat> anyway, uh, the second reason was sled riding. Sled riding was just like, you can only do it when you have the snow. And so we would go out and we would actually, <laughs> you know how kids are, we'd actually say it's not icy enough. We'd get buckets of water and dump it in the street. You know, I'm not sure our parents really wanted us to do that. But we would get on there and we'd get on these sleds and we'd go down. The only problem was, I, I look back now and I can't even believe my, my parents let me do this. The, the street emptied out on a main busy street. <laughs> We'd go down this hill. But there was, a, there was kind of a flat part that would happen down the bottom before you got to the busy part. 
not an, you know, we never had an accident. Never had all the years we ever did that. We never had an accident. But I'm telling you, once you got started, guess what? You weren't stopping. You were, you could stop. You ever heard of crashing? And this is the picture that Jesus is telling us about watch and pray. He says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Why? Because once we get to that edge of sin, sometimes it becomes too hard to stop it. What a picture. Such mastery over self is presented by Paul as a fruit of the spirit manifested in us as through the spirit we mortify the deeds of the body. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You want know to what's interesting about that? Go back one slide. Go, you know what's really interesting about this? It says, but the fruit of the spirit. Do you know in Greek that word is singular? It doesn't say fruits. It doesn't say fruits. It says, if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, or why I point this out is, I've, a lot of people will go like, oh, okay, so I can, I'm on board with the joy piece. Uh, you know, I'm okay with, uh, with the faithfulness. That patience one, you know, nah, that one's not mine. Well, what it says is if you have the Holy Spirit, guess what? All of them are yours. Isn't God great? <laughs> Living water. The quote goes on like this. Perseverance is farsighted endurance. Perseverance is farsighted endurance. Keeping on in spite of tough going because you believe in God's future. Because you want to be ultimately accountable and because you expect the ultimate reward of God's warm praise. Perseverance is what we endure. Why do we endure? Because we know there's a future. See, if you don't know there's a future, you're going to demand your will today. Why? Because that's your only shot at happiness. If it doesn't happen now, how do I know if it's ever going to happen? But if I'm not looking for today, I'm looking for tomorrow. Guess what I have the ability to do? Go through today. He goes on, in a generation that thinks mostly of present benefits, expecting neither future reckoning nor reward, much of the production of our workforce is characterized by quick, shoddy workmanship, and planned obsolescence. It has been reported that in, in one past year's time, 70% of Americans had to return one or more unsatisfactory products. Anybody ever have to return? Don't have to raise your hand. Anybody ever have to return something? Have to return something defective? What is that telling us about the character of the world? That tells us these things are planned this way. How many ever, anybody ever said they don't build it like they used to? Anybody ever said that before? It tells me how old you are if you said that before. <laughs> I don't make things like they used to. But how many know that there's a certain sense of truth to that? Now, there's, there's awesome things in, in, in technology that have actually improved things and made things better. But there was also a sense of, of I built this to last. I built this to last. But how many know that sometimes if you build to last, you have to have less now? It takes endurance. All right. So in the realm of Christian living, perseverance is the willingness to take time to build a life that is not spiritually shoddy, but will stand the tests of daily use. And that's what we're talking about. 
Me would like to have the ability to stand just, just today, daily use. Well, that's taking the time to build a life that's not spiritually shoddy. You see, it doesn't just happen. See, it's, it's not, I come in faith to Jesus, and now I'm love. Ta-da. It's, that guy just cut me off. <laughs> I'm supposed to be love. I've got eight steps to get there yet. <laughs> but I have to take that time with him to build a life, to apply him in my life. And let him come through me, that living water. All right. So this, is, this then is not a grit your teeth and hang on attitude, though that may be what we have, feel at times. Any, anybody else ever feel like that? Just grit your teeth and hang on. You know, you've seen the sign, hang on, baby, Friday's coming. <laughs> but feel like that? Well, for us, hang on, baby, Sunday's coming, right? That's the resurrection. Friday happens, Sunday's coming. Therefore, and, and so he says this, this is the courage to move ahead because one sees, even through tears, the promises of God bound to, real, to be realized. And, I, and that's where I want to get to here. This is what endurance does. The courage to move ahead because one sees, even through tears, the promises of God bound to be realized. And we look to who? We look to Jesus. I'm going to, this is Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily. Let us run with what? Endurance the race that is set before us. The writer of Hebrews says this. Just listen. There's a long line of those who have gone before us. And if we look at their lives, they are just as human as we are. They have experienced the hardness of life just as we have. But the thing that has marked them is that they have stood through it in faith. Some have seen incredible miracles. Some have walked knowing that they're walking for something that's coming in the future they're never even going to see in their own lifetime. Abraham. Some have walked and seen the dead raised. Others have walked and become the dead all in faith says that's the family we're a part of that's 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 what we're carrying forward when we're standing in our times listen i just listened to something yesterday it broke my heart it broke my heart he says because and this is the second time i've heard this recently from two different scholars in two different places of the world who are not believers saying the thing they wished that right now was going on is that the church would be the church in the middle of our times going through pandemic we're going through unrest we're going through craziness all over the place and they 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 said i don't need somebody to stand up on a sunday morning this was an unbeliever telling me i don't need somebody to stand up on a sunday morning and tell me i need to wash my hands i need somebody to tell me that we are a part of something bigger than us that there is something to hold on to that eons of people have been holding on to and that there is hope in the future this is endurance. This is endurance. This isn't about just me and my problems. Though it is. Though it is. 
You see, when we face life knowing that we are a part of something so much bigger than us, then overcoming what is in front of us helps others overcome what's in front of them. That's endurance. So how do we do that? Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There is the formula for the joy that was set before him. Wait a minute. He was about to carry this big old heavy wooden beam. He's been rejected by everybody. He's been falsely accused. He's been beaten to a pulp. He's got blood dripping down his face from a crown on his head. And it says, for the joy set before him. Malevolent, malicious Roman soldiers are taking spikes, driving them through his wrists. He can't breathe. He's pushing himself to, to breathe against all excruciating pain. And he's shamefully stripped to the public. But for the joy set before him, he sees past. And he says, despising the shame, despising the shame. What do I care about the pain when I know what's coming? What do I care about the, the suffering when I know what's coming? So Peter's using this word steadfastness, endurance, and he's, he's using it in a Greek culture that, that, it, that it primarily reflects personal courage and endurance. It, it was well known in the culture in which he, it is, is that in the face of evil and suffering, I have to have endurance, I have to have courage. And that's, that's the Greek context of how Peter's using this word. And that speaks to the two faces of evil we talked about earlier. Both the chaos and destruction that is, that is evident. You know, sometimes we miss how much chaos and destruction is in this world because we live in the most singularly off-the-charts prosperous times and place in all of history. We are so incredibly privileged we don't even realize it. Do you realize up until the late 1980s, 90% of the world lived on $1.50 a day? $1.50 a day. So I was listening to, uh, uh, to another scholar. He was comparing, comparing times like this. And he, and he, and he made this, he made this uh, comment. He said, listen, he said, would, would you rather be a middle-class person today or John D. Rockefeller in 1900. Of course, most people go, man, I'd much rather be John D. Rockefeller, richest person in the world and all that, and, you know, and, and, and have all that. What? And then they started listing all of the comforts that the average middle-class person has that he didn't have. Like, well, I don't know I would want to live without that. It is a miracle we have plumbing indoors. And it's like, yeah, it, it, that seems funny, doesn't it? Not for most of history, it doesn't. Anybody ever watch a sci-fi movie? You go back 100 years and talk about how we're living today, and they go, <laughs> that was really good science fiction, man. We have so much that God has given. To whom much is given, much is expected. 
So what does Peter do? Peter repurposes this word for Christian living. Handbook on Second Peter says this, as a Christian virtue, steadfastness stems not so much from a person's own bravery as it does from the believer's trust in God and hope for the fulfillment of all God promises. It will be necessary in many languages to translate steadfastness as the ability to endure. What, 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 what's, he, what's he saying here? So it comes from this. Steadfastness and endurance in, in the Greek culture comes from finding this place deep inside of you and gutting it through. He's saying that's not what it is for a believer. What it is for a believer, it comes from this place that's out there. His name is Jesus. He's greater than us. And we're living for him. He up undergirds us. He holds us up. We can trust his word no matter what we face. We are a part of something bigger than us. And, and you might think, okay, I've heard these things. How does this apply? Just two weeks ago, I was listening to another scholar. She's a, she was a, a op-ed writer for, um, uh, for the Wall Street Journal, for the New York Times, and very liberal-leaning, uh, a very liberal lifestyle. And, and she made this comment. She underwent cancel culture. I mean, because she took a stand on a couple of issues in her articles, and it just absolutely got crucified and canceled. Ended up leaving her job at the at the New York Times. And this is what she said. She said, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, she was quoting a sentiment, and I can't remember who said this. Uh, uh, my daughter actually might be. A, my daughter is here, by the way, with us today. She's visiting from, from Georgia, so anyway. Um, uh, it says this, it says that for evil to prosper, the only thing it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. The only thing it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. And she said, the culture we're living in, this cancel culture, good people aren't saying anything. They're not saying a word because they're living in fear. And they're living in fear because they don't want to get canceled themselves. And she said, it's interesting when you look at the ones who do end up standing up, who do end up saying things, so often they are ones who come with a strong spiritual faith. This is her observation. You see, we don't realize the gift we've been given. We don't realize the gift that we've been given, that there is a place of endurance that comes from him when we're living for him that enables us to go through. And quite frankly, what is that? That is the cross, demonstrating the cross, the love of the cross. Amen? All right, so how do we do this? We've already talked about one. One is watch and pray not to enter temptation. I love uh, these scriptures. Jesus, here, Jesus said this to Peter. He said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Remember Jesus saying that. Okay, the scene that Jesus says that is Peter's asleep. He's in the garden. He's about, and Jesus is praying, and he's about to undergo the whole crucifixion process. And he told the disciples, he said, pray, pray. And he goes off and prays, and he comes back, and Peter's asleep. Brothers and sisters, are we asleep? Are we asleep? Peter, Jesus says to Peter, watch and pray. Not that you may not sin. That's the fascinating part. Watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. Stop before you get there. Oh, uh, uh. I'm going to stop there because I could do an entire lesson just on that. I'm going to go to the next one. Number two, 
There are three foundations of endurance. Michael Green gives us this, three foundations of endurance. Knowledge of Christ, faith in the promises of God, and experience of his divine power. Knowing Christ, trusting what he says will come to pass, and experiencing his power in our lives. And I'm going to turn here to Romans to see this. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the believers in Romans in Rome. And we're going to take this little section out of there. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, God's justice is fully satisfied. God literally makes us right before him. And we'll get into this a little bit more, but I want us to get the full picture of what Jesus did. You see, what what this text is telling us is this, is that, that we start off over here on a team that is literally opposed to God. It tells us while we were yet enemies, while we're enemies, we're on the other team. We're on the team that is opposing God. We're on the team that is opposing his love. We're on the team that is opposing his will in the world. This is, that's where we start. We're enemies. This is while we're here on this team, this is Christ died for us. He dies for us. This is what Paul says. He says, and as a result of him dying for us, he does two things. The first thing it does is, uh, is it literally washes us clean. It washes us clean. And then it does something else. It justifies us. Justifies us. Now, to get the full grasp of what justify means, I want us to picture you in a court of law right now for, for a felony that you committed and you are fully guilty and you're standing there. You've committed a felony, you're fully guilty, and you're standing there. And the verdict comes in and it says, um, you weren't even there when it happened. That's justified. That's justified. The verdict comes in, the judge pulls out the legal demands written against you. Your name's not on the list. That's justified. That's what justified means. The, 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 uh, uh, Jeremiah says this, cuts our sins off as far as the east is from the west. The scripture says that he remembers them no more. Since we are made new, a new creation, we are translated out of this team into that team. All right, so we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also obtain access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So how we are standing here is by this grace that he's poured into us that he wants to continue to pour into us and that's what we've been talking about when we apply and and we walk the disciplines of of the christian life when we walk and build in those disciplines what do we experience more and more and more grace more and more and more grace this is not only this but we rejoice in our sufferings oh full stop hold on time out So, you know, this is just my mind when I'm reading the Bible, I do this. There are times when I'm reading the Bible that um, I just, I was like, okay, wait a minute, Lord, that's weird. That's weird. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is if you've read this over and over and over and over again, well, it's the weird. And can I tell you, it's the weird things that are so important the weird things that have so much meaning to them i go i'm supposed to what i'm supposed to rejoice in sufferings he says we rejoice in our suffering oh full stop what are you talking about paul 
He says, why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Wow. Produces, uh, uh, suffering produces what? Can you go back? Suffering produces what? Endurance. Endurance. What's our subject this morning? Endurance. Endurance. You see, this is the key right here. There is only one path to maturity. Now, I know a lot of us, you know, it's like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? It's true. Think about it. There's only one path to maturity in the Christian faith. And it's not by how much you know up here. It's not by how much you go to church. It's not by how many Bible studies you tend or how many hours of prayer you put in. It's suffering. It's suffering. You don't think so? Think it not strange, the fiery trials you go through, my brother, for the testing of your faith makes you mature. It's the testing. It's the suffering. And what is the one characteristic we need to mature then? Endurance. Not giving up. Not quitting. Not quitting. Now, what's interesting is we can actually mature by embracing spiritual disciplines in our life. What are we doing? We're crucifying our flesh. We're causing our flesh to suffer in order to grow. We can bring that into our own life and cause our own growth. It doesn't have to be because life bombarding us. It can be because we keep coming to him and putting aside ourselves. And in the, the, the crucifying of ourselves, we are growing. We are maturing. We are allowing the suffering to produce endurance. And that endurance produces what? Take the next slide. Character. There it is. That's maturity. And as we mature, what do we get? Hope. How many here want to be filled with hope? How many here want to be filled with hope? And it's, it, you see, there's a big difference between worldly hope and biblical hope. Big difference. Worldly hope is a hope that, that's kind of like, well, you know, I kind of hope we get to do it. Right? It's an unsure hope. Wouldn't it be nice? I'm kind of hoping for, but I don't want to get my hopes up. Biblical hope says, no, God has said it, therefore it's going to happen. I'm going to go through this trusting him. I'm going to endure. I'm going to allow myself to mature because I know in the end he will bring his glory to about. So it's because produce, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen? Amen. So Jesus tells a story. And the reason why I'm I'm just going to touch this very briefly as we close out. Because there's a flip side to endurance. 
and he's, he's, he's telling a parable to his disciples, and he says, um, there's a guy, he's sowing seeds. And as he's sowing seeds, uh, some of the seed falls over here on this path, and it's a hard path, and the birds, they come down and they eat it. And then some of the seeds fall here on this soil over here, and it's rocky soil. And it's cool because they, you know, the plants start to come up, but it's not cool because as soon as the sun comes out, they die. And then some of the seed falls over here in this thorny soil. And again, it's cool because the plant comes up, but it's not cool because the thorns choke it and squeeze it and they die. But some of the seed falls here in this good soil. This good soil is awesome because when that seed falls, it multiplies 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. It multiplies. And so the disciples ask him, what does, this, what does this mean? What does this mean? He says, listen, let me tell you what it means. It's very simple. If it, the sower is the word of God going out. Right now, the word of God is going out. Right now, the word of God is going out. And there are some that won't hear it. They will allow Satan, this is Jesus' specific words, they will allow Satan to steal that word, and it will never have an effect in their life. He said, now there are some who are like rocky soil, and they hear it, and they go, amen, that's the word of God. I believe it. I agree. And it starts to have an effect, but they have no endurance in their life. And the moment it gets hard, the moment suffering comes along, the moment it's difficult, they say, enough of this. And some of that seed will fall among people that are like thorns and say, you know what, that's, that's, that's good stuff. I'm looking forward to the promises of God. I needed that word in my life. And as soon as they walk out the door, they say, I also need greed. I also need lust. I also need this. And I also need that. And the word of God is choked out of their life because there's no endurance. And some of that seed falls on people and multiplies to 30, to 60, to 100 And so that's my question here. This is where we're ending this morning for you. Which soil are we? Which soil are we? The word of God has gone forth. He's given it to us. Do we allow it to have effect in our lives? Do we endure? Do we endure? In face of pandemic, in the face of unrest, in the face of all the things that are happening in our lives personally, do we say, no, I know the Lord Jesus Christ. I know the promises of God are true. I have experienced the love of the Holy Spirit poured out on my life. I'm going to endure. 